0: Welcome into another episode of the Living in Hope podcast, where we invite people to share their stories and experiences of God working in their lives and situations. I'm your host, Josie, and today I'm bringing you an interview between our host, John, and some wonderful people serving as missionaries in the country of Indonesia. Josh and Amber Harrington are home on leave from the mission field, and you're about to hear a little bit of the part they play in bringing translators and church plants to people groups that otherwise have not yet heard the gospel message in their own language. They also share a few thoughts and lessons they are learning as they transition their family between two very different cultures and lifestyles. I know you'll be blessed by this conversation, so let's get right to it.
1: Hey, everybody. I'm here with two amazing people, Josh and Amber Harrington. Uh, They are missionaries with the Wycliffe uh, Bible Translation uh, Missionary Group. And they are back on uh, a holiday, it's not a holiday, an extended break uh, back here uh, in the San Juan Camino Island area. And we are really excited to get to hear about kind of how God's working in their lives, what they're doing, um, and uh, over there in Papua. And uh, so really, thanks for being here, guys. Hi there. Yeah, thanks, John. All right. So if you could just kind of start us off, tell us a little bit about your family, uh, you guys, um, anything you want to share before we kind of get into uh, the meat of this. Go ahead.
2: Well, Amber and I have uh, two, two girls. Our firstborn is Kate, and she's seven years old. And then our secondborn is Allison, and she is four. And we serve in uh, Indonesia on the island of Papua uh, with Wycliffe Bible Translators. I serve as an aircraft mechanic in a support role. Um, our airplanes um, basically connect isolated people groups um, in Papua so we can get translators and church planners out to them.
3: Yeah, our island is just north of Australia, and we share an island with Papua New Guinea. So we're one island, but it's split down the middle. And on the east side of the island, it's Papua New Guinea, or PNG. And on the west side is Indonesia, and we live in a place called Sintani. And it's just south of the equator, and so it's hot and humid all year long. Um, The sun sets at 6 PM and it rises at 6 AM, and so by uh, there's no there's no long drawn out dusk. It's just dark.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I remember living uh, in Indonesia and being on the equator. That yeah, it was the weirdest thing not having you know no daylight as we're getting into these these short little days here right now when we're recording this and. Uh, you know, there every it never changed. It was it was six a.m., six p.m. You knew exactly what time the sun was going to rise and when it was going to go down within like a five or ten minute yep. span, and it was it never changed. So uh, it's a little bit of a shock. And when you're here in the summer, it's really probably a shock too. Yep. I would assume
3: it makes it a lot difficult putting a lot more difficult putting your kids to bed at dark. Oh <laughs> yes, yes
1: for sure. Um, and then the other thing that uh, you guys have experienced, as uh, I see. You're both wearing your jackets, or at least you were when you walked in. Uh, It is quite a bit colder here, even though for us uh, people that live here year round, it's, you know, we're like, oh, it's not that big a deal. Maybe you wear your Birkenstocks and your shorts, no big deal. But for you guys, uh, even in the summer, it's, it's, uh, when you come back, it's cold, isn't it?
3: Yep. I constantly have about five layers on, and my hands are always cold, and I'm pretty much freezing all the time whenever we're here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the the past four years in Papua, I don't think I felt cold once. No,
1: <laughs> no, 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 no you, you don't get that way for sure. For sure, I remember I used to have to go for runs and I'd have to go like at nine o'clock at night, just and, and even mm-hmm. then, it's like going in the middle of the day here. So, yep. Uh, so, uh, how did you guys, um, decide to become missionaries, decide to do missionary work? Well, I was
2: uh, I was nineteen. And after church one Sunday, uh, Hoagie Hogan came up to me and said, "Hey, have you ever considered becoming a missionary pilot?" And I didn't know what that was. And so he said, "Why don't you go out to the Arlington Airport? Jars is having a flight demonstration. Jars is the technical arm of Wycliffe." Okay. And uh, um, so I went out there and I um, saw a missionary pilot. And I asked him, "What is it that he, he does?" And he said that there are remote people groups in the world that don't have access to God's Word. And the only way in and out of these villages is by air, and so that's what we do. We uh, fly in out of these villages and bring translators and church planners and community developers. And I, th- I thought to myself, uh, this is, I could maybe do this, and I started training to become a pilot mechanic with uh, um, for, with the intention of becoming a missionary pilot mechanic.
1: Okay. And and uh, when, when you said pilot mechanics, that means you uh, know how to be a pilot as well as a mechanic? Those are going together?
2: Yep. I started off um, over in Papua as, as a pilot and a mechanic. And uh, um, about, I think it was about the second term we were back, they were low on mechanics. Okay. And so they offered me the, the option of switching over to becoming a mechanic. And, and I, so I said, sure. And so I, I started working as a mechanic, and I've um, been staying in that role ever since.
1: Okay. Uh, great. And, and uh, Amber, how about you?
3: Um, when I was in university, we had a chapel service service. And a Wycliffe Bible translators representative came and he had a stack of paper. It was the old printer paper that had the perforated edges that you would tear off for mm-hmm. the sheets that you needed. So he had a student take the top sheet and start walking up the aisle towards the exit. And he got about halfway before he stopped. And on that on those paper, on those papers there was There were names written of people groups and language groups all around the world that had yet to have any portion of God's word in their own language. And it was, they were written in a normal size font and the pages were full of names. And that was the first time I'd ever realized that there were people out there that didn't have any portion of God's word. Well, I was training to be a teacher. And so I thought, well, nobody, they don't need teachers and a friend came and said, "Hey, why don't you go be a teacher with Wycliffe Bible Translators?" And I said, "Because they're Wycliffe Bible <laughs> Translators, I'm not a Bible translator." And they said, "No, Wycliffe needs teachers." So I started looking into it and and sure enough, one of the main reasons why missionaries leave the field is because of of inadequate education for their their kids. And so I thought, "Okay, this sounds like a great way that the Lord is taking my my uh my job, my vocation, and he's making it into a ministry. And, um, so yeah, before we had kids, I was a school teacher and, um, and I taught middle school math. And so it was great. It was a great way to, to partner with the translators, um, and help support them by making that, making education for their kids to be one less thing that they have to worry about.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really, um, maybe something that people don't often think about. They don't think about, oh, when I, you know, you see missionaries go off and uh, and go to these remote places. Um, and one of the hard things that we, because we have some friends that that um, have dealt with this, is you have to then uh, a lot of times homeschool your child, which is not a bad option. That's not, but you don't have the same access probably to a lot of the materials that you need and a lot of this stuff. Um, even if you order it, who knows how long it's going to take for it to get to you. Um, and so having people there that are trained as teachers and that you trust your children with and 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 to uh, provide an education so that you can focus on other things that you have to do in, in your role, um, that's that's a super big blessing for those people. So, yeah, that's if, if anybody's out there listening and wants to, you know, do something like that, it's a great way to, um, you know, use your talents to uh, get out there and help people, uh, support their kids on the mission field. So, so go ahead and tell me a little bit about, uh, how you guys ended up meeting and, and how, you know, cause, uh, you know, there, there could, there's a lot of ways that you can meet and, 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 in the sense of, um, uh, you know, missionaries, did, did you know each other before you went on the mission field? Did you meet on the mission field? What, what did that look like?
2: Yeah, we went to a new member orientation with Wycliffe in Orlando, and uh, I was single and Amber was single, and uh, it was about a two-week mission or um, uh, just a two-week new member orientation. And we met, and we hit it off, and we both went home to, to, uh, Amber went back to Texas, and I came back to Washington State, and we just, you know, communicated over phone and email, and uh, uh, the next training event was in uh, uh, about, what, five months later, four months later, it was about a five-week course back in North Carolina. And so yeah, we, we we met up and we ended up getting engaged. And then about what four months later, we we got married right when all of um all of our training was was done with Wycliffe.
3: It was pretty great because at each stage of our training with Wycliffe, it was a new stage of our relationship. So at our orientation, we had just met. At the next training event, it was we were engaged and then the next event that I had to go to was a teacher orientation. And that happened the week after our honeymoon. So we went on our honeymoon and then we just went straight to teacher orientation. And uh, I remember Josh just laying by the swimming pool while I had to go to all day long orientation. <laughs>
1: it was perfect, right? Was yeah, nice. great. yeah, he loved that orientation. Yeah. That was the best part. Yeah, the easiest one. Yeah, for sure. That, you know, that um, is a really cool unique way um to to you know find each other and then to have the same heart for the same thing that's that's pretty important you know because uh you guys are you know you've gone to this place that's uh you know like we've talked about it's remote you know you have to have people that are kind of on the same page um because if you don't I imagine it would be pretty difficult um so so that's awesome that you guys were kind of in the same realm together uh, uh looking to do the same sorts of things so that's great um, what are some, uh, what are some things that the Lord is doing currently in your lives right now to kind of, you know, work you through, you do, uh, maybe let me back up. You guys are, are back for an extended period of time. And whenever there's a transition, when you come back, there's that culture shock that you have to deal with. And, uh, it is, you know, things are different uh, from one place to the other. There's a culture shock going both directions. And even though I imagine, you know, you get, I think it's like you said, your fourth time back, um, mm-hmm. I imagine there's still things that, that you have to deal with and have to, to uh, tr- kind of adjust to. And what do you see the Lord doing in your lives during this time as you're, as you're back here in the States?
3: Yeah, I think um, I laughed when you said it culture shock because we've been talking lately about the price, the rising price of Taco Bell. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is right. If your tacos We're not used are more, than, if your yeah. tacos are more than ninety nine cents, exactly. it's not really. A That's Taco a culture Bell. shock to us. Yes.
3: Um, but yeah, we. This is our since we've been in Indonesia. This is our fourth time coming back to the states, and this is my my first time not being pregnant. So that's, that is really exciting for me. Um, and it's, but it's also a different stage than we've ever been in before, because now we have our kids are school age. And so, um, they're enrolled in school and, and, um, and I think too, one, one thing that is interesting coming back is that we can relate to a lot of the things that people in America were going through during COVID when COVID first happened, because when you were, um, when you were at home with your kids and you were doing remote learning at home, Mm -hmm. I was at home with my kids doing remote learning. And, um, when you were doing online church, we were doing online church. And, um, so I think there's a lot of ways that we can relate to, um, to each other in, in ways that we've not really ever been able to relate before. And so, um, uh, and, and there's some challenges with coming back to, um, some, one of the challenges that keeps coming to my mind is, um, that our kids don't remember what it was like the last time that they were here. So we mm-hmm. say, Oh, this is your friend, but they don't know, they don't remember them. So it's like, we're having to, we're having to be really, um, courageous and outgoing and, um, creating moments for them to, to be able to meet new people and, and to uh, make friends, mm-hmm. and that's proved to be interesting. When for the last little while, everybody has been told you need to stay away from people <laughs> because yeah. you know it's we don't know about this virus and things like that. So coming back home, it's been interesting to to try to to create moments where we can we can build relationships with people here. Um, that's been more interesting and different. It looks different than it has the other times that we've been at home,
1: before. yeah yeah your kids um they're at they're starting to be at the age where they want you know the fr- friends are, are mean different things to them than they did before. It doesn't mean just showing mm-hmm. up and playing at the at the playground I guess I imagine it you know the the, the friendship's deepen especially with your seven year old probably a little bit more and wanting to do more things and and uh, how do you make those connections when you're the new the new one and uh, the new kid in school and uh, so yeah, I can see that being being something. You had mentioned something before um, about time and mm-hmm. about how you have to schedule your time now compared to when you were maybe back in, in Papua.
3: Yeah, for us, we look at all of the opportunities that we can do stuff here you know, they can, our kids can play sports. We can, uh, they can do dance lessons. They can do all sorts of things to fill their time. And for us, it's a real temptation. For me, it's a temptation to fill my calendar with things and activities. It's kind of like an overload because we don't have those things. And now that we're here, we can just like indulge on them in some ways, Mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes it's a, it's a real struggle for me personally, because I find that I am sacrificing other things that are, are important to me, like time with my family Mm -hmm. and time with, um, friends and, um, and, and more so than just doing activities. And so for me, I'm finding that I really have to keep a tight guard on my calendar and on my free time and on the ways that I'm, on the ways that we're choosing to use the time that we have here, um, and, using that time in a way where we can get to know people, but at the same time, really guard that precious family time that we have together, um, with our core family or our family of four, but also with our extended family, because yeah. we don't get to see them yeah. often. So we want to spend this time together as much as we can.
1: Yeah. I, I see that a lot, you know, um, just in and in, in my family's life, we you we had all this time together, and it was something that when you are out in a remote place like you guys are, you don't have the same opportunities that that obviously people here do. As in the sense of, you know, something to do every night, sports wise, and and you could you know be doing things till eight o'clock at night every night, um, if you wanted to be. Uh, But then during when everybody was home, a lot of that stuff went away. You couldn't do sports. You couldn't do things um, like that. And everybody got used to having more time. And I know that's been one of the hardest things for me and for others is that transitioning back to this hectic lifestyle. And good on you guys for trying to make sure you keep it, um, keep that family time a focus. because you can lose it pretty easy here if you're not careful. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And and like you said, you know, you're able to to have a lot more in common with people this time around than maybe you did before because you've lived through the same sorts of things. And that that sort of that pull on everybody's life is, is kind of the same at the moment for a lot of people. So yeah. Um, how is the Lord kind of, you know, working in you guys as you kind of make decisions about, um, you know, going back, um, not going back, change it. You know, I, I and I don't know what your your plans are. Even I don't know if you guys know what your plans are. Um, but, but I imagine you have to take stock every time you come back and figure out what that looks like. And and how is the Lord working on on you to make those decisions and come to those decisions?
2: Yeah, f- furloughs or uh, this time back in the states has always been a, a challenge of faith for me because when you're over there and you're working, you're you're caught up in your life and you're doing the work and you're really busy and all that. When But when you come back to the States, it's really, a, it's it's a time that we've always reevaluated. What is, is this, is this worth it? Is this something that we want to keep doing? Um, You know, what, and all the what ifs that, that come to us, like, can we even make it back with, you know, visa requirements and, and other things that might come up. And uh, every time we've always said, with this is the fourth time back, every, every time we say, yep, it's worth it. If the Lord sends us back, we'll go back. And that's the way we feel now. If, if, um, if things all if things line up, if financials, our support team lines up, and visas line up, and all that stuff, our health lines up, uh, we'll we'll go back. But it's it's always it's always when when you when you step back from the work, and you get a break, it's always a a, a challenge to faith. Is like how is the Lord going to provide? How is He going to get us back? Um, you know, the the support team that you got to build up to go back, and you know, then also now it's like the health of our 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 family and some of our supporters too. And so it's um, it's it's really a challenge of faith. And so far, um, we haven't been disappointed. We put our faith in in him, and and he he makes a way.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, that just you have to have that that faith, because otherwise, you know, you guys probably more than um, a lot of other people. Everybody needs faith. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is um, this idea of not knowing exactly where the finances are going to come from you know most people have a salary they have a you know they they know what you know hourly wages what they're going to make kind of thing uh, you guys are reliant upon uh, you know donors and things of that nature and supporters and and uh, you know it's funny you trust the lord and, and if it's if it's uh, supposed to work out it's going to and and that's uh and that's a great thing um, is there anything you I you think got?
3: Josh is right every time we come home we have a bad case of the what ifs where we think about, oh, what if? What would life had been like if we didn't go overseas? Or what if we had real jobs? We do have a real job, <laughs> but do. we you we do. come back home and it feels like, oh, what, what are we doing with our time? And um, and so yeah, it's always a time of of uh, a challenge because it can be a temptation to think that this life here is better, or um, you know, it, it, you, we we kind of question what are we doing and what if, what if the Lord's calling us to do something else? And, um, the what ifs can be, can be pretty tricky and they can Mm -hmm. really, um, cause you to question and worry and doubt over things that don't need to be questioned and worried and, and, and thought about all the time. Um, but at the same time, you do have to hold these plans loosely Mm -hmm. of going back. We want to go back. That's our hope to go Mm -hmm. back, but, there's not just one, one thing that could keep us from going back. And so we do have to, to really hold it with an open hand and saying, okay, Lord, if this is what you want, you're going to make a way. And if this isn't what you want, then you're going to provide something else for us too. And it, and we're praying that it would be clear yeah, <laughs> either way. Yeah, yeah. You know?
1: mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that that's, you know, that that's a difficult place to be, um, that not knowing, um, is there, do you guys just, how do you guys go about that together? Do you guys, Is it just a lot of prayer together? Is it a lot of, um, you know, just reading the Bible? I mean, like, what is it that kind of helps you kind of calm those what ifs, you know?
2: I think I think we're honest with one another, or at least we try to be as honest as we can with one another. And, um, if, you know, if, if one, so far, if one person is in a situation where they're, doubting a little bit. The other one's got a little extra faith and kind of picked the other one up. And so, yeah, you know, we're in, we're in this together and, uh, and so far, so far, yeah, just good, good communication.
3: I think too, one thing that we've always said from the beginning is that we have these markers. It's kind of like they're in a way, it's kind of like the fleeces that we put out. And so we look at, um, okay, how are our finances? Have we met the budget that has Mm -hmm. been set for us? Do we have a visa? how is our health doing? How's our family's health doing? And now we have even added, how are our kids doing? Mm-hmm. What is, what's their, what are their needs and things like that. And if we get, um, like a, a check mark and all of those things, then it's kind of like, we've been cleared to go, you <laughs> know? You go. And, but I remember the last time that we came home, uh, we had like four of the five things were question marks. Oh. And so, We, we hadn't met our budget yet. We didn't have a visa. Our, our health was, um, kind of in question. Our mine was, we had some health concerns. And then, um, the only things that were okay were our parents didn't need us and our kids were doing all right. Well, at that point we only had one kid, so (laughs) (laughs) Allie wasn't around yet. But, um, yeah, so we have those those fleece that we kind of put out and, and we've always been in agreement about those things that if, if they are all provided for, then we're going to take that as the sign that the Lord's saying, go ahead and go forward.
1: Good. Good. Um, thanks for sharing that. Um, you guys have some really cool stories about how God has provided for you and, and shown his hand and himself, uh, to you, uh, in the midst of some, some crazy trials and things like that. Um, so you want to share a couple of those?
2: Yeah, back in, uh, I think it was March, 2019, there was a landslide in our, in our town in Santani. And, uh, fortunately we were kind of at the tail end of the landslide. So we didn't catch a lot of the high energy mud and rocks, but, uh, we ended up getting about three feet of mud and water in our yard and, uh, we were able to barricade the doors. And so we kept most of the mud out of the house. But, uh, um, while we were in the house, we had, uh, uh, Amber with Kate and Allie were on top of the kitchen counter and as the waters were rising outside the the door we saw we made the call I said if the water comes up over the window because we don't have uh, glass windows there it's just screen okay so if the water came up over the, the, um, the uh, window sill came into the house um, we would go up into the attic and so there wasn't really a great spot up in the attic yet and so we were trying to scramble to get a platform up there for all the kids to to hang out and uh, the water was probably within about four inches from the windowsill and rising, and so we were praying, and we had everything upstairs that were as good as we were going to get it up in the attic, and uh, while we were praying, there was a, about a 100-foot-long wall behind our house that just went down all, all at the same time, and the water level dropped about six inches, and it stopped rising. So so we were able to, at that point, we were able to put the girls to bed, and uh, they got got them some sleep, and, uh, and we had to wait out in the house because the waters were still too strong outside to try to get out.
1: Wow. That's, uh, you know, that sort of that, pr- again, it's kind of like you were talking about the fleeces, like your, your checkpoints. You're like, Hey, if, mm-hmm. if, if, uh, you know, if, if it gets to this window, so we got to do this and, and then it's, and this would be a pretty serious situation. You'd probably lose a lot more stuff and the house would maybe not be as sturdy as it needed to be. Um, but then, you know, that, that just worked out. That's great. Um, you were, you had shared Amber about, um, about having some kids uh you, you know the, the kids were in the midst of this and and you guys were on a counter you want to share a little bit about yeah, that Yeah
3: I I think that's probably for me that's the most miraculous thing that happened that <laughs> night was that we were I was sitting on a countertop in the kitchen with a 2-year-old and a 5-year-old and they were obeying and they <laughs> were they were listening well they weren't trying to get down to get into the water they I I really think that that uh, is one of the most miraculous things that happened from that whole night yeah. of just being in that flood.
1: Yeah. Anytime you can get, you know, a two and a five-year-old to listen for 10 minutes, let alone <laughs> two hours or whatever you guys had to wait for that, that's that's definitely God's hand working uh, mm-hmm. there because that uh, we know that that's not normal. That's right. Uh, so... Um, Do you have any other stories that you wanted to share?
3: Yeah, I remember there was one around one Christmas time. Um, So in Papua, around holidays, everything closes. And so pharmacies will be closed. uh, Emergency rooms are closed. There's no doctors that are available. So if something happens, you really don't want it to happen around a holiday because the the chances of you getting help are, are low. And so there was around Christmas Eve, and uh, it was 2018, um, and Kate had started coughing, and I just thought that she was just being a stinker and you know coughing all the time, and, I, and so I would tell her to be quiet, stop coughing, and then, um, but she was coughing around the clock. Hmm. And so one night it was Christmas Eve. We'd put them to bed and Josh said, what if, what if she's coughing all the time because she's not breathing well? And I thought, (laughs) you know, she's fine. (laughs) And about that, that moment, she came into the same room that we were in and we had noticed that her lips were a bit blue. And so we immediately called a nurse that lived down the road from us. And, you know, it's Christmas Eve and she's, we're not expecting anything. We just want her to come and look at our daughter, you know, Mm -hmm. and she showed up on Christmas Eve with a nebulizer and medicine for the nebulizer, Hmm. um, antibiotics, everything that we would need to treat Kate in that moment, our friend and nurse showed up with. And then, um, maybe a week or two later I was in the clinic and, um, Kate has an inhaler that she uses and, and, uh, it's really expensive Mm -hmm. to buy that in America. And so we went over with just one and we were going to use it when she needed it because it it was like, we called it liquid gold because every puff was so (laughs) pricey. And so, um, we were told that we needed to use that more frequently. And so I thought, well, how are we going to get this medicine here? Mm -hmm. It's so expensive. And what are we going to do? And, um, I was in the clinic visiting with another nurse and she pulls down their asthma bucket and on top of this asthma bucket is the exact inhaler that Kate needed. And there it was. And I said, Hey, uh, what's, (laughs) what's going on with this inhaler? Why is it here? And, and she said, Oh, that was just donated. You know, who even knows? And I said, well, can I buy it? You know, how much is it? And she goes, you can just have it. And so we got this. (laughs) Free inhaler, and um, so that was enough. But it wasn't enough to tie us over. We didn't know when we were coming back yeah. at that point, and we knew that that medicine was going to run out before we got to come back to the states. And so, I had a trip planned for some training, and I had gone around. I had tried to go around to look at different pharmacies for this medicine. And I just couldn't find it. And we're on a bus in the middle of the night, going to the terminal to to get onto this airplane to go to our training. I'm traveling with some other people that live on our island, and they said, "Oh, we have this contact of this guy who runs a pharmacy in Bali, and he's great. Do you want us to give you his phone number?" And I thought, "Yes." So I got his phone number, and I wrote him whenever I got back home, and I said, "Here's the." I sent him a picture, mm-hmm. a name, and everything like that. And he wrote back, and he said this is this drug name in Indonesia. And I have this here for 150,000, which is like $12. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I want a hundred of them. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. as right. many right. as you can send. Right. And, um, <laughs> so, but it was such a sweet reminder to me of, of God seeing us and God, he just, for me, it's a special story for Kate's story, mm-hmm. a, a special part of Kate's story, because, um, you know, we're, we're one stop away from the end of the world, like from the end Mm -hmm, of the earth, like mm -hmm. there's not many places past where we are. And, um, it can often seem like you're, you're forgotten about and you're far away from family and friends and, and medical help. And so, um, for us, it was just a really sweet reminder that God sees us, that he cares for Kate and that he has a big story for her. And, um, and it's a powerful reminder of his love and his care for our kids. And, um, yeah, that he can provide for them in, in ways that we would never be able to, there's no way I could have ever met this, this pharmacist in Bali, um, without these connections that he had allowed to happen on a bus in Jakarta.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, 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 that's when you see that stuff, right? Like it all happened at just the right time. That, that nurse showed up at your house with the right stuff, which the chances of that are almost nothing. Right. Right. And then at the clinic you needed more and it was the, the the one you needed was right there. And then the connection with the, the, uh, the pharmacist in Bali, I mean like that, those are the kind of things when you realize that God's really got it under control and he's got, he's got all that stuff, uh, on lockdown for you. That's great. Yeah. And
3: and Bali is like a four and a half hour flight away. It's not like a drive or anything like that. It's a, no, it's (laughs) a a a thousand plus miles. I mean, it
1: is a long way. Yeah, for sure. Everything for many of those islands is a long way from one another. So, um, yeah, that's, that's so cool. So we had talked a little bit, earlier, um, it, just on our own about what it's like when you guys see someone, um, in Papua hear the word in their own language and, and what that does for them and what that looks like. Can you, can you share a little bit about that, please? Yeah.
2: A couple of years back, uh, we were able to go to a Bible dedication. So we flew on in, on a, in this little village on a, one of your Josh's aircraft and, uh, this village had invited the whole valley to uh, dedicate the Bible and to celebrate getting God's word in their own language. And there was, when we got off the plane, there was people dancing. I mean, everyone was having a good time. There was, there had a, a pig, a pig roast and um, they were cutting up vegetables. And I mean, everyone was just, just busy, just basically partying and have, and, and just really enjoying the moment. And uh, um, we went through the Bible dedication and the, and the church leaders, they prayed and they, they, um, everyone, you know, basically were expressing their gratefulness for having God's word in their own language. And after the dedication was over, with um, uh, someone that was on the outskirts of that that village group or that language group, they uh, um, came to the leaders and they said, w- "You know what? What is it? What, you know how did, how did you guys invite everyone from the whole valley? And, and they're, they're eating all of your, your pigs. They're eating all of your gardens. Your gardens are stripped bare." Um, you've got all these different families, and no one's fighting. Everyone's having a good time. No one's upset that all the pig is gone and all the our gardens are empty. How you know what? What is your secret? And they said, "Well, you know, the the power of God's word is is, is transformed our our uh, our, our village has transformed our church. You know, we received it, we believed it, um, and and we're living by it. And it's, it's 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 freedom. It's freedom from the spirits. It's freedom from fear. It's freedom from um, just basically the things that separate people. And they said, we, we want that. We want that in our own, our own language. We want God's word in our own language. And so um, at the time, there was, um, there was a team of uh, Wyclef translators that were working in this village or this language group. And I, I, the, old, the older uh, missionary was like, hey, I'm, I'm about to retire. I'm actually already retired. Um, if you want to reach these, these people group, you're going to have to do it on your own. And so, and we'll, and we'll support you, but you guys have to lead this. And so that's what they did. These uh, these these Papuan pastors and translators they got together and they put a team together, and they reached out to this this uh, people group, and they you know they started translating you know um, basically their language into, in, into God's word, and they were bringing the gospel to these people, and they were reaching out, and it's basically it's uh, it's the power of God's word how it doesn't just transform a community but it it spreads, and it um it's not just a Western movement. It's people see the value of having God's word in their own language there and what it, what it can do.
1: That's, that's uh, so fantastic. It's so, um, heartening to hear, you know, one of the things that, you know, you want to he- that you hear people talk about is like, you want to be an example that people look at and they, they say, Oh, you're different. And then, you, you know, you want them to hopefully be able to ask you, you know, why are you different? What's different about you? And then you can share, you know, your, your faith in, in Jesus. and, and, that is kind of like the whole village was doing that, right? Mm-hmm. They were they were that example that people saw and and said, "Hey, we want what they've got and, and that piece." And um, just a follow up question: When they undertake something like that, where they want to translate the Bible into their own language, like you know, the the gentleman you were talking about said, you know, he was he was just he was retiring and they were going to have to do it. How long does it take? To do that, I imagine it's a—it's quite a while, right? I mean, what's the kind of the average, or is there an average, or does it—I don't know.
2: Yeah, it's—I think historically it's been probably get like majority of the New Testament uh, a decade, you wow. know. Uh, it, it, you know, but they can get portions of God's Word a lot, a lot sooner than that. Yeah. Um, in a lot of cases, there's probably there's over 200 different languages in Papua, and in some cases, the only people that speak that language in the whole world is maybe 800 people in that language group, and so. Um, what Wycliffe and other outside mission organizations do—they send someone in there, and they have to learn like language and the culture, and um, it takes it takes a while just to learn the language well enough oh. to be able to translate into and into the into the Bible into that language. Um, the um, yeah, no, it's it's a big it's a big undertaking. There, it's it's amazing to us because you'll have a, a people group, and they'll have a completely different. Um, not just language, but they'll have a completely different uh, um, like culture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then then someone that's maybe seventy, eighty miles away, yeah, different language, different culture, different religion, social structure. It's it's incredible. I mean, so it's it's really each each place is very unique,
1: its own pocket, its own. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's yeah. I was I was just really intrigued to find out, you know, like what would what would that take? I mean, I assume it's a gigantic undertaking, and like you said, a, a decade for just the New Testament. So. Wow. Um, uh, but good for them for being willing to step up and do that. So awesome. Um, you had, you had said, uh, when people hear the gospel in their own word in their own language, it does something, uh, you know, it, it, it means so much different to them. And you had, you shared with me earlier about a gentleman that, that had thought he had heard the word, but he hadn't. And you want to just maybe tell us about that?
2: yeah um I had a translator friend that he was putting on a workshop where they were translating um basically um, short stories into in, into their own language of these different people groups and they had they had a a pastor that they thought was um he was a solid guy great guy um he served in the church and, and when he was he translated the uh, he was helping to translate the gospel message in one of these short stories and when he got to the end of it he was like i I wasn't, I wasn't saved. My righteousness was in what I was doing and who, and who I was. And after he got to the end of, end of the translation, he became a, he turned his life over to Christ and became a believer. And uh, it was just really powerful that this, this whole technical project of trying to learn the language and, and basically what communicates best the gospel message in, in their, in their own language, you know, people are, are getting saved in that, in, even in that technical process.
1: That's that's uh, amazing, I and mean, that's that's the power of of actually hearing the word in your own language and and being able to to comprehend it. Um, you uh, Amber had shared with me earlier about um, within the schools um, that that you taught at and that the girls have attended, and 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 how the gospel is is shared there, and how important that is, even amongst people that you know, that you assume kind of have it, uh, are already on lockdown with what can you yeah. tell me about that?
3: So every year at our school, they have a missions emphasis week and a spiritual emphasis week. And last year's spiritual emphasis week had all of the elementary school students together and a clear presentation of the gospel was made in a way that these kids could understand it. And, um, and there were many decisions made that week to accept Jesus as their savior for the first time. Um, and it's just really a a cool thing. I mean, I get really excited about Bible dedications Mm -hmm. happening. Um, And because I know that those lives are going to be changed for generations to come. But I also get really excited when a missionary kid accepts Jesus as their savior for the first time. Because we often think, okay, these kids, their parents are missionaries. They're getting, uh, they go to a Christian school. So they're getting Bible curriculum. They have memory verses assigned to them as homework each week. Mm -hmm. And we often think, okay, well, they know. You, yeah. you know they already must be believers, and so. But I think they, there's a there's a, a tendency to to misunderstand, and we just assume that they've got this head knowledge, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a heart knowledge of who the Lord is, who Jesus is as the rescuer and the redeemer of us from redeeming us from our sins, and so I get really excited too when there's a movement around our around the school mm-hmm. happening, a movement where This just the Holy Spirit is drawing these students to himself and and uh, and using um, things like spiritual emphasis week or um, even in the high school. They do an outdoor education where they go to a remote village for two weeks and they they. They put on Bible, uh, backyard Bible clubs. They do AIDS presentations. They hike out to outlying villages and they do a um, a stay there and they do some backyard Bible clubs there. And those kids come back and their lives are forever changed. And so it's creating an opportunity for the the Holy Spirit to get them away from the technology mm-hmm. and their their comfort zone mm-hmm. and just have a time of being. Uh, like a focused time on, on getting to hang out with the Lord and serving with their, their peers and, mm-hmm. and serving in the interior villages of Papua.
1: That's, that's, uh, you know, something we don't often think about, right? Like, um, you know, I think that there's a practical application within, you know, people living here in the States is, you know, you, you, you take your children to, to, to church, you, they're in youth group. They, you know, they might, uh, you know, do some things with the church, uh with the church uh throughout the weekend or whatever. But just because they go doesn't mean that they have that relationship. And it's really cool once they get that relationship and you can see that change. But we a lot of times we just assume, like, you know, or my kid goes to Christian school or whatever, but um, you know, that that has to be they have to make that decision. The Holy Spirit has to to lead them to that and then they, they have to make that decision and and uh so that's great that, that, uh, you know, not only are you focusing on the, uh, the people that haven't heard it before, but that the people that have heard it before also mm-hmm. end up with that relationship. So that's really cool. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for being here. Number one. But before we go, we have kind of our final question that we ask all of our guests and it's what is your hope or what does hope mean to you, uh, right now currently?
3: You go first.
2: Right. Well, my my hope is that Jesus is coming back, and I I hope he's coming back soon. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I can I can second that one. All right.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, my hope is that um, when we walk into new or unfamiliar situations, we can be confident that Jesus is with us.
1: Excellent. I like it. Um, well, thank you guys both for being here, and thank you for what you do um, getting the word out to people that have never heard it before. And for, for, it really is a sacrifice of, of you and, and your family to get to go do those sorts of things. Um, uh, you know, it's not what a lot of people know and understand. And so, uh, it's great to get to hear things from your perspective. And we really appreciate you guys taking the time to sit with me and, and do this. So thanks so much. Thanks for having us. Thanks, John. All right. Take care, everybody
0: finding balance in our daily lives, keeping our faith in God no matter what comes our way, living with an open-handed posture, ready to follow wherever God might be leading. These lessons apply to all of us. Thank you, Josh and Amber, for sharing a little of your journey with us today. If you'd like more information about the mission work they do, or you'd like to get more information on how you can partner with them financially to support bringing the gospel to the people of Indonesia, we've included a link in the podcast notes. Well, hey, friends, as we speak, everyone everywhere are decking the halls for Christmas. And guess what? It's the first week of Advent, and the theme of this week is hope. We're all about hope here on this podcast, so let me leave you with the reminder to center your thoughts on hope instead of the stresses of the year. Set your mind on the gift that God has given us in his son, Jesus, who stepped down from heaven and took the form of a man so that we might believe. Remember the hope God offers to our lost and dying world that he has given us through Jesus. And let's be all about spreading that hope with those around us this season. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, and we'll see you back here in two weeks for another great episode.